0: We're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. And last week, I spoke about pleasure and delight in God, looking at a number of passages in Ephesians and how it's a core part of the Christian life. We all want more of it, but how do we get there and how we can have more? And so if you want to see that, it's online at our website, that's, I'm not going, to, not going to give you any more right now about that, um, but what, we, what we're going to do today is to follow on the next passage in our sequence, looking at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and uh, we're moving into the second half of Ephesians, and the most important part of the second half of Ephesians is chapter 4, because it lays a foundation for everything else. So, first half of Ephesians is the teaching. The second half is about how the teaching works out in our lives. And he begins by laying a foundation which is the basis for everything. And this week and next week are going to be the most important, I would say, in the entire series that we've done. So, particularly next week's one. So if you're if you're flying home tonight, you're gonna miss that. (laughs) You could watch us online. So uh, my goal today is to understand the basic idea of how spiritual gifts work in relationship to the body of the church. And uh, my, these are my, my three points. Uh, the title is Jesus' Gifts to the Church and the Tragedy of Misunderstanding Them. I'll explain that in a moment. The misunderstanding that has hurt the church for nearly two thousand years that 's my first point. Then the five gifts in verse eleven of chapter four, and then we 're going to look end by looking at the flow of Ephesians seven through sixteen an exciting preview of next week so um, let 's look at the passage then shall we to start with and i 'm going to i 'm going to be taking the whole screen now, Peter, so if you can make it uh, for the live stream people so they can see me still. Now, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he quotes from Psalm 68. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to his people. He ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. Now, I spent quite a bit of time a few weeks ago looking at what those verses meant, particularly verse 10, that descended and ascended, and we saw how Jesus defeated the powers of darkness. He defeated all their ability to accuse us. He took away their accusations and stripped them as it's expanded in Colossians. And so Jesus has won the victory And then verse 7, it picks up what it says in verse 7, in verse 11, about gifts. And I've highlighted that in blue there. He himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of serving, for building up the body of Christ. So, this is the passage we're going to look at today, and particularly verses 11 and 12 are what we are going to concentrate on. So uh, we, let me just then look at, I'm just going to flip out of this big screen looking back at the, um, um, the verses we've got. Um, verse 11, he himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of serving for the building up of the body of Christ. So um, I'm going to ask you a question then: um, Who is building the church, according to this verse, who is building the church? Yeah. The Saints, is that? Are there any other possibilities? You're, yeah, Christ, yeah, but from what it's saying in the verse here, the directly, obviously Christ is the one who ultimately is building, but through these verses. Now I want to, uh, um, there are actually uh, three different options to that. Um, it could be that the apostles, prophets, etc., are building the church. It could be that we're to take the um, uh, the saints, and it could be that their serving builds the church. But essentially, it's the choice between these, these gifted people and the saints building the church. And this is the million-dollar question. And uh, if you, are, if you um, are strong adherent to the King James Bible today, I'm going to apologize because I'm going to make some criticisms of the King James translation. Um, sorry about that in advance. But it's the, what they call the King James comma, which is the problem. Now, this is the King James of verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, and this is the, the purpose, the, the gift of these five ministries is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does it imply from the way those commas are that who is doing the, um, the building? It's implying it's the fivefold gifts because the, these gifted people perfect the saints, they do the work of the ministry, and they build the body of Christ. And so putting that comma in place there um, suggests that it's not the saints who do the work of the ministry and build up the body. Edify is the old word for build up. And um, actually, there's no punctuation in the Greek language. You have to determine how it's punctuated by the way the words work. Uh, Greek has got no commas. And if you take the commas away, you get, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And today, virtually 100% of scholars agree that the old translation is wrong. There shouldn't be commas there. And the specially gifted ones don't build the church directly. They equip everybody, and then everybody builds the church. Now, and this, of course, it accords accords with verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Sorry, I've marked that as verse 8. It's Verse 7. Um, so what, why is this important? It led to a top-down structure in the church where you have a hierarchical structure where the average person just sits in, in the pew and they don't do anything more than give their money. They just come and participate and go. And the building of the church is done by the paid staff. You know, the, the leaders, the, the um Uh, The clergy build the church, and you get two levels of Christians. You get the clergy and what they call the laity. And uh, all the work was done by the leaders. And sometimes they may feel threatened by gifted people who are not part of their, their, uh, their, their paid staff. And this distinction, what do you think about this distinction between these two groups of people? It's disempowering. Yep, that's true. Yep. Yeah. What would you say, Anne? Right. You've put your finger on it. It says there to each one of us. So imagine the paid staff represent 1% of the, of the church. Your 99% of the gifting is not being used. Is that going to have an impact on the growth of the church? Massively massively. This is a huge problem and has been a huge problem that the church has had only a small percentage of the people's gift being used. And so uh, this is, uh, I'm saying we're laying a foundation here, and this is going to be a foundation for the rest of the book of Ephesians. And so almost 100% of scholars, practically 100%, believe that it was it was translated wrongly and actually you should, you should understand that all believers are building the church. And so this then is my first point, the misunderstanding that's hurt the church for nearly 2,000 years. I say nearly because I'm assuming in Paul's time at least some churches listened to him and got it right. Right. So Anne says, did they translate it like that because that's what they're already doing? Probably. That was probably the case, because they didn't start behaving like that because of the comma. The church was behaving like that centuries before then. So you're probably right. The comma was just reflecting what they actually did in practice. Yeah, good point. Uh, So I'm now going to talk about the five gifts in verse 11, and then we'll go on to look at the rest of the passage. So uh, let's look then at these five gifts. So verse 11 says... He himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And uh, there are, these are sometimes called the fivefold ministries. Actually, um, some people argue there's actually four ministries here because shepherds and teachers are actually put together in the original Greek. They're kind of combined. Um, but I think that's really just for an overlap. It's, there is an overlap between those two giftings. It's not that there is actually just four and one's got two names to it Um, and so I want to say a few things about this first of all these are not positions in the church this is these are not like um, titles job titles this person your job title is an apostle or job title is an evangelist in the church there's never any evidence that that's how they were used in the when the church was started These are descriptions of giftings that somebody have. So, for example, Paul might have a gifting as an apostle and as a a prophet. And he certainly had a gifting as an evangelist and as a teacher. So, it's a a kind of gifting that is there. And uh, so, they're not positions in the church. Now, I'm going to go through these one at a time, just summarizing what we mean by those things. And... um, This was the verse that convinced me that the supernatural gifts had not ceased in the early church, but were still active today. I was brought up in a church environment that believed that, no, all those were in the past, those ended with the early church, no more prophecy, that that stopped 2,000 years ago. And this was the verse that changed it. And the verse, and we haven't got there, but... um, after verse 11, it says he gave these gifts until the church comes to full maturity. And I'm going to look at that later and show you why we haven't got there yet. Why these, still get, these gifts, these five gifts, are still active. So what do we mean by apostles here? How many apostles were there in the New Testament? There, there are actually um, depends how you define apostle. And I'll come to that in a minute. But people named as apostle, maybe about um, 18 or 19 people named as apostle in the New Testament. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Do you know what the word means, apostle? It simply means sent one. It simply means somebody who's sent. A sent person. Um, so, uh, So Bible scholars lift three kinds of sent ones. The first one is Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father to this earth, and that word is used. Jesus is the great apostle; he's the one sent by God. The next level is we have the twelve, and um, one of them was replaced, as we know, because of Judas. Um, but we have the twelve, and they are they're uh, often they are called the twelve, and they but they're the kind of top level of apostle. And then we have others who are added on, like Paul, Barnabas, James a number of others who are added on who are described as being apostles and they're not part of the 12, what Paul calls them, apostles. And uh, although Paul is an apostle, he doesn't include himself in the 12 because he speaks of the 12. And then actually we can add another level. All believers, all of us are sent. We're all sent out by Jesus into this world. So in some senses the Bible speaks of us all um, having this apostolic role. Um, so just some uh, um, a few verses about apostles. In 1 Corinthians 5.15, Paul says Jesus was seen by Peter, then by all the 12, then by over 500 others. And so he was accepting then that Matthias, the one they chose to replace Peter, was actually a valid choice because he's saying 12. Um, in Acts 14, Paul includes Barnabas as an apostle, um, in Romans sixteen seven, he includes he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, who are of note among the apostles, and then in Galatians he talks about James, God, Jesus' brother, being an apostle, and um, and uh, a few other places as well. Uh, so in um, Revelation chapter chapter two, there's a very interesting reference to. Uh, apostles in the letter to the Ephesians. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Now, this is really interesting. First of all, it shows there must have been more than 12. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to test, or you need to say, look, I can count. You're not one of them. Get out. You wouldn't need to, you wouldn't need to test them, they're either in or they're out. Um, but, so they're testing them, but it shows that there was already an abuse back then of what it means to be an apostle, but there were ways of knowing whether somebody was and evaluating whether somebody was. And um, uh, so uh, how do we know then whether someone is an apostle or a sent one? Well, I, the first is that it's God who sent the person. They're not sent by humans. God has sent them. Now, you may, of course, not be able to experience that. They may have had a vision or had felt a call by God. You may not have seen that, so you can't judge them by that. But they're called to suffer. Paul talks about suffering as being a mark of an apostle. Um, They Often they're sent to plant churches, and and they have some other kind of government over the ones that they plant. And so there's um, there's... An accomplishment that they've done, they've actually got seen some fruit from the labor. So they're not just claiming, oh, I'm an apostle, but they've actually got some fruit. So, Paul, for example, says the Philippians are like a letter of commendation for him, or like a reference letter, because they are evidence of his apostleship, because he planted them you know, from nothing. And so one of the ways then is to say, well, what's the fruit from this person if they claim to be an apostle? What fruit do they have in their lives? And so um, those would be some of the minds, more complicated than that, but that would be a, 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 just a quick summary. Um, so it's possible that some of the sent ones in the New Testament were female, they're referred to. Um, it's not a, an office in the church, it's a gifting. And so. Large range of, of of things people can be sent to do, um, so uh, unfortunately today we have these superstars in the church um, with their private jets, and they and you know they, they consider call themselves apostles, and uh, they they don't match up with this what Paul says in terms of like being willing to pour his life out for for the christ it's not some sort of high high level gifting and very wealthy position that they have so i could speak a lot more about apostles but i'm going to move on because we've got five of these things to cover the next one will be prophets um so can i ask you can all, all christians hear from god in some way yeah, all of us can. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. All of us, all of us have got some, you know, we, we, God speaks to us. Um, but there are different levels of gifting that people have in terms of, of, of how clearly they receive from God. And here it's talking about a major prophetic gifting, something that's really very clear. In fact, not just a prophetic gifting, but they have, the, they have a, a gifting of training others up into that ministry. Um, evangelists uh, just simply uh, an evangelist. I would say the gift of evangelism is more not the person's got amazing ways of speaking, but as they speak, God saves people. So, for example, Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't particularly you read it, it wasn't particularly stunning speech. So what happened? Well, the Spirit worked in the hearts of the people. And just like they said, what should we do? And there were thousands saved. So I would say the gift of evangelists is not so much in the person, but it's the fruit that God brings through them. He's chosen them to bring fruit. And part of their job then is to train up other evangelists and to train them and to give them this gifting. Uh, so, and once again... Um, uh, there are um, different levels of this uh, in, in, in the Christian church. Now, the next one it mentions is pastors, literally it's shepherds. And we commonly use that name, don't we? Um, just some, Anne said earlier, introducing somebody that I was the pastor of the church. Did you know this is the only time in the New Testament the word pastor is used of a, of a person, of a particular role? The only time. Um, there sometimes people are told to shepherd the flock, but this this so it 's um, actually a, a a role rather than a title it 's a kind of thing that you do to pastor and this is important because all of us should be pastoring in some way. we should all be shepherding we should all be caring for those around us and uh, so so um I would say the gift of pastor or gift of shepherd is the one who has got a specific insights into how this can work, how we can care for people in the flock and can train others to to do that role. Um, So uh, in any church, you need many people doing this. You can't have a single shepherd in a church. You need lots of people shepherding and watching out for one another. And the last one we have is teachers, and teaching, of course, overlaps with shepherding, because what does a shepherd do with their sheep? They have to feed them. One of the most important things a shepherd has to do. And so the idea of feeding and and caring for do overlap. And uh, so um, this role of, of teacher is going to be expanded quite a bit more in the next section of the letter. So I've done a very quick run through there of those five giftings. The most important thing, though, that I want to emphasize is the giftings are not for themselves, but for the body. The primary purpose is the people, gifted people, should be multiplying their gifts in the body, training up others, raising up others in that gifting, and that is what their role is. And you can see how Paul would, would... just about always take someone with him uh, to help him, to assist him, to train up people like Timothy and Silas and Barnabas and others, train them up so that they could be raised in their, up in their gifting. So um, we've looked at the misunderstanding, we've looked at these five gifts, and what I'd like to do now is to spend a little bit of time looking at the rest of this passage that in um, going on from 7 through to 16. And uh, I'd like then to um, look at what these verses say. So we're going to move on now to um, verse 12, actually. Here we go. So this is the purpose of the shepherds, these ministries. For the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of serving for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, you see I've color-coded this. Next week, you're going to get this on a handout. Because this is a beautiful precision piece of poetry that Paul has written. We've seen this before in Ephesians and this is an exquisite example of how he's formulated this foundational truth just like a gem. And so we begin with building up the body of Christ and we're going to end there with the body being built up in love. And so we're building up the body of Christ, verse 12, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to one mature human, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, wave-tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but speaking the truth in love, we should grow up in every way into him who is the head Christ, So you can see those two red phrases, I've I've matched those together, because one's child as opposed to being grown up. And then we have going back to the unity, from whom the body, the whole body being joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, And here, look at this, from the proper working of the measure of each individual part. So we're going to see next week, the growth of the body is by every individual part doing their share. It's every individual part doing it produces the growth in the body for the building up of itself in love. So what I'm going to do now is I've got this, uh, I hope you'll enjoy this, this is... um, This is trying to show you how it works as just a beautiful piece of writing. And those of you who don't come regularly here will will know that, um, sorry, those of you who do come regularly will know that this particular kind of of way of writing is quite common, both in the New Testament and Old Testament, where you start off with an idea and you end with the same idea, and then in between you kind of have set... uh, you have like another idea introduced with the matching one and then another one and the matching one. And so it, this one is going to go A, B, C, D, E, E, D, C, B, A in terms of the ideas. And so verse 12 starts, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the working of, work of serving for the building up of the body of Christ. And then we have all the intermediate verses and then verse 17 ends, produces the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so this, that is the beginning and ending of this section. This is, this is what it's about. And then in sandwiched in between these, we have how it's built. It's built by, it's built until we all attain to the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to one mature human, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's described again in verse 16. From whom the whole body being joined together and held together by every supporting ligament from the proper working of the measure of each individual part. So this, if you like, is how the body is built by every part doing their share, attaining to this, this, um, this fullness of Christ. So what is the goal? Well, that's in verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to click on that and expand it. The goal that we should be no longer children, that we should grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And then in the middle there is verse 15, which describes what the actual growing up is like. Children are wave-tossed, blown about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up. So, um, isn't that cool? I think it's cool. So, <laughs> it's uh, it's um, it's just the way it's beautiful. In our culture, you know, we we don't we don't uh, when we want to say truth, we don't like do it in a particularly um, beautiful way. We separated truth and beauty. But in in, in the biblical times, if you want to say something truthful then why not say it in a beautiful way? Is it not worth putting effort into writing it out in a beautiful way? Because truth and beauty could be combined. Nowadays, we tend to separate them, but this is part of their culture. And um, so what I wanted to suggest, I'm going to end with this, and maybe the worship team would like to come up. But um, what I'd like to do is to end with this. Um, This is for the purpose of Of equipping the saints, these fivefold gifts are for the purpose of equipping the saints until we all attain to this. Until so, the question is: Let me ask you, have we attained to the point where we're no longer children that the church today is not blown around by every wind of doctrine, or is it still blown around by every wind of doctrine? I think it is. I think the church is not mature. The church is still like a child. So in other words, we still need the gifting because we haven't attained that. This is, it was that until that convinced me that the gifts of the spirit are still applicable today because that until has not yet been reached. So I'm going to um, just close now by um, uh, giving you a challenge, and this is my challenge: as a church, we need to use the gifts of every single member. Please pray that we are able to do this together as we grow. And this is going to be our mission at New Life Church. As we move move forward, we are going to try and put this into practice. We're going to try and be an Ephesians four church where every single one of you is um, is has your gifts being used does that sound good do you want that okay so and that is the way to maturity to no longer be children but to be mature and uh, grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ as a church let's pray shall we heavenly father we thank you for this amazing passage we thank you lord for your gift to us Lord, we pray you will help us to understand how we are to use this gift and how each one of us are to use our gifts. Lord, show us what our individual giftings are. And Lord, help us as a church provide the development and training we need so we can be obeying the, the plan that you've laid out in these verses. We bring this to you, asking for your strength in Jesus' name. Amen.